we're sipping a gunpowder milkshake while everybody's talking about Jamie and we're flicking mandibles off the prisoners of Ghostland. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Offscreen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening from. We hope you've had a fantastic week of film watching. Um, I, Van, I have just caught the West Side Story full trailer. Have you seen that oh, yet? I haven't yet. No, I haven't yet. The last trailer I saw was the, I think it was a Hawkeye one a couple of days ago, actually. But <laughs> no, I, I, I've noticed there's some, some Twitter buzz because people are uh, asking why, why a certain Ridley Scott-like trick from All the Money in the World wasn't used to replace play someone but is it any good is it fun Ooh. do you know what it looks beautiful it looks really beautiful Excellent. um i'm very excited about it now i wasn't before but now i am mm. it looks great <laughs> well let me let me let me tell you about a movie i was kind of oddly excited about once i heard the pitch okay. this is our first movie for this week and we'll be very quick on this because it's a french comedy so it's not like we can include a clip and okay. uh, and also i know you haven't uh, i don't think you've seen this one so this is uh, mandibles which, according to the subtitles on this film, translates to uh, mandibles. And it is about, uh, <laughs> it's about two sort of dumb, lumbering, almost stoner slacker-like friends, uh, Jean Gab and Manu, who are uh, played by uh, David Marseille and uh, uh, Gregoire I think, Ludwig or Ludwig, I think. And uh, this... They they are doing a sort of transporter-like courier gig, you know, transporting a shady package, and they nick yeah. a car to do it. And in the boot of this car, they find a giant fly, like an actual giant fly, like it's about three foot long, three feet long house fly. And they duct tape its wings and they decide to train it to become like a, a drone to serve them. Only the car runs out of petrol on the way home, and they hit a lift with... A, set, a trio of girls who mistake them for old school friends and invite them to their family's holiday home, where they then have to basically keep the fly hidden in secret until they can get away, effectively. This is absolutely as mental as it sounds. I can tell by the look on your face. Yeah, yeah, I mean, bonkers. Um, but uh -huh. The reason why I was I chortled when you were describing this a little bit was because you were like, yeah, it's a French, like, they're a couple of bunch of stoners, da, da, da. and I was like, oh, okay, I see, like, I see where you're going with this. I kind of know why you, you're, you, you, were look, you were oddly infused by this, because it sounds like, I don't know, like, um, so, some movie from the 90s that's just uh, being reborn in, like, French cinema. <laughs> Well, this is this is the latest film, and I didn't realise this until sort of after I'd, I'd watched it. This is the latest film from writer-director Quentin Dupieux, who brought us at Rubber quite famously 11 years ago now, back in 2010. You know the the, the movie about the uh, evil uh, uh, like tyre, the evil car tyre, truck tyre, I think it was in the desert that was killing people. Um, recently gave us Deer Skin as well. Um, but so okay. there's, a, there's a pedigree of weirdness to this, and you get it almost instantly. Um, Adele yeah. Oxacopolis is also in this. She's the worst thing about the film and more or less single-handedly ruins it. Um, oh. It's a shame because when it works, it really, really works. When it doesn't, it stinks. And unfortunately, most of those moments happen to me when Adele, poor, poor Adele, is uh, lumbered with this just character that just doesn't work. But let's talk about something with a bit more character backs. Go on, take well, it away for me. 
You know what? I'd say that everybody is talking about this. Everybody is talking about Jamie. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm amazed that I managed to say that in one piece because before that, it was like, everybody loves Jamie. Everybody hates Jamie. What's going on? How do we talk about this? We, we, said, that, like, we said, didn't we? Was it? Everybody, everybody, loves, everybody loves Raymond, hates Chris, is talking about Jamie. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, now, to give you guys some context, I have seen the documentary i have also um watched the stage play and so this is my third mm-hmm. outing for it's your third um, dose of jamie it's my third dose of jamie yeah and what it is is the story of it's based on the true story of a young boy called jamie new who um wasn't allowed to go to his school prom dressed in drag essentially um and that was kind of the documentary uh, take on it and then it got kind of got, you know, put into the world of artistic license, brought into the musical and becomes more fabulous with songs and very clever staging. And then now it's a movie which we're going to have on Amazon Prime. And yeah, and I think, you know, you've got a really good cast. Richard E. Grant's in there, Sharon Horgan as well. And it's a whole yeah. load of toe tapping fun. Oh, double maths. Kill me now. Jamie, wait a minute. Why? Just wait. Wear these to prom. What? If you want to be a drag queen, be a drag queen. Why not come out as a drag queen at prom? I can't. Jamie, stop waiting for permission to be you. There's, uh, first of all, something very strange. So this this was, once upon a time, a 20th century Fox uh, film, then the Disney merger, mm-hmm. obviously, and then Disney sold it to Amazon Prime. There's a weird thing here about this going to streaming in spite of the fact that it so clearly is destined for, as we predicted, the cult classics at the multiplex kind of like, this is going to be a fan screening thing forever. Mm. I can see this finding its audience instantly. It absolutely delivers on the potential I would have expected it to have. Uh, The bits that, you know, when you see the names in the credits that you expect to sparkle, absolutely do sparkle. Richard E. Grant delivering the best chuffy in fire that any Yorkshireman has ever (laughs) heard. Uh, Sharon Horgan, who I I think is is playing kind of against type, I would say as well. Um, Yeah. Max Harwood in the lead. Now, this, I argue, I would argue is the weak, not, he's not bad, but I would argue he is still the weakest link because he is an infinitely better song and dance performer, I think, than the straightforward actor. And I think it is in the dramatic sections that you feel there's something missing. There is an element not quite clicked into place there. That that was just my takeaway from it. Having said that, very catchy, very energetic, very fun. I was very moved by it. Ralph Einson, oh, Ralph Einson breaks my heart in this. And, uh... Yeah, just, I, I really loved it. I, I thought it was a really oh, great good. film. But I, you're the bigger fan, so I want to hear more from you. So for me, I have to say it fell short. Um, Ooh, which, okay. Yeah, which is a shame, right? Uh, because the stage musical, mm. the way, because they're integrating a lot of stuff that they do with the stage musical. You know, you cut to these scenes which are, you know, very much like, uh, I suppose, uh they're not linear, right? This is not a linear film in any way. And you cut to these very um, abstract, avant-garde style films where suddenly the classroom turns into a catwalk or something like that, right? And they do that on stage. And when you see them transition on stage, the skill to be able to do that is amazing. And then it feels a bit flat seeing it on screen as a result of that. So that I'm glad that for you, having not seen the stage play, you're, mm. you find it brilliant. I think there's going to be a whole audience that have followed this through 
who's going to feel slightly let down because we know the tricks and we know that they they're done in a much more skilled way on the stage. That's the only so real criticism. The... But, sorry, sorry, go sorry, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm interrupted. Go on. Your criticism. Go on. Carry on. No, and so so for me, like the songs I already knew, they didn't feel as catchy because they weren't live, you know. And that's the thing. I think it was lacking that oomph that you get in the stage play of like, what's going to happen next? How's this going to transition? How's this going to move through? And so, so everything um, isn't as big and bold. That's it. So am I right in assuming then, I think, as a fan of this brand, you are hoping for more of a sort of evolutionary leap with the format change? Yes, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. it. And it feels like okay. it's, you know, like when, you know, when you see a film and then it's transferred onto stage and you're a bit like, oh, I see how they did that. It's the reverse engineering of that, but it doesn't quite work in the right way. But I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from the fact that it is a toe-tappingly good movie to watch, but the bar is set a lot higher, I think, for fans. I think you've just described the warhorse problem from Once Upon a Time. Yeah. When everyone used to rave about War Horse as a stage show because of the effect and everything. And yeah, when they got yeah. the actual movie, it was a bit, we, we, we've seen this movie before, Steve, yeah. come on. But to, but, yeah. to, your, po to your point about the, the actor mm. that plays Jamie, on stage, the charisma of the, of the actors that play Jamie there are amazing. And I know it's bigger and it's bolder on stage, but I get what you mean about there's kind of a lack of nuance when there's the more dramatic roles. But he's good. Yeah. yeah, he is good. But he's he, the, whoever's going to play this is born to be on stage. And there's a really fine balance between it being, because it's drag and because it's supposed to be fabulous, yeah. darling, there's this balance of kind of knowing when to bring that down and knowing when to really heighten that. And it has got those cameos in there as well. Those those iconic yeah. drag queen cameos are in there. There's a, there's a one or two that, because obviously, obviously I'm on record saying the whole drag culture revival thing has sort of bypassed me. But my, uh, my flatmate, Sav, he uh, obviously big drag fan. We went to the Spice Girls one together as well. Christmas lockdown, uh, which was epic. But uh, I, I know a few from him, and I know Bianca Del Rio. I think is in this. There's a cameo in there or something yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, this is just a lot of fun. I, I think uh, Scene Stealer, obvious, you know, is going to be uh, uh, Richard E. Grant every time. Yes. Uh, but yeah. just a really fun, really heartfelt film. I would. I, I would still say it's an enjoyable film. Wouldn't you yeah. still say? It's Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I just don't think it sits there for me. Like we preempted last week with like Brassed Off, Full Monty, that kind of iconic mm. British movie. I don't think it's reaching that heights and I think that's a shame. Welcome back to Offscreen. We hope you enjoyed our first pick of the crop of movies for you. We're moving straight on to something which might catch your eye on the side of a bus. There is um, a striking poster for this. It's got an interesting name, but is the film itself interesting? Um, we're talking about Gunpowder Milkshake, uh, Van, which you and I have had a few text conversations about post-watching this. Um, to give you a little bit of a synopsis as to what this movie is about, um, it stars um, Lena Headley, and um, Karen Gillan as the main kind of characters, although Angela Bassett pops up in this as well, which is quite interesting. Um, and uh, Yo, Carla Gugino, Paul Giamatti. It's a hell of a cast, this one. It's a hell of a cast. It's a hell of a cast. And it basically follows um, initially a, a professional assassin called Scarlett who was forced to abandon her daughter. Um, and years later, her daughter herself turns into a cold blooded hit woman um, and then a mission goes out of control which spins them back together and ultimately they're having to fight side by side your talents are needed pronto 
Somebody stole from us. He's crazy enough to steal from the firm. Somebody who doesn't know who we really are. An accountant from the clean side of the business. How much did he take? Enough to earn a visit from you. We need that money back. Good girl. I'll text you an address later. Oh, and get rid of those Stone Age firearms you carry. But I've had them for years. Find an open vendor and get yourself some clean boomsticks. Because we can't have you linked to that war zone you left behind, O'Kinley. I had a really good time with this. I thought this was really good fun. Um, this, there's, there's pacing issues with it. I can't deny that with it. But I think outside of the pacing issues, which do admittedly get confined to the, do thankfully get confined to the, the first hour. And this is like an hour 50, is worth noting. So it is kind of overlong because of that pacing problem. But once you put that aside, I think there's some great stuff in here. I mean, the fight, cho uh, fight choreography in there is tremendous. There's some really deadpan delivery that you do think in lesser hands would just fall way, way flatter than, th than this. I think this has got a really good vibe going for it, a really good energy. I think for all of the attempts to do the whole Jane Wick thing, this is hands down the best one, but this does seem to be a scale which we are climbing lately. And I, and I am saying that with the caveat that I have not watched Kate on Netflix yet with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which may well be better than this. And you know, I hear it very well could be. So I'm looking forward to watching that next. I think this though, for action chops, Lena Headey, Karen Gillan, I mean, Michelle Yeoh and Angela Bassett, I mean, Good Lord, at one point in this, Angela Bassett, an Oscar nominee, delivers the line, we're going to bring the roof down on their mother-fudging heads with complete sincerity and sells that line. I never thought I'd live to see that. Do you know what? I'm really pleased that you had such a good time with this because I <laughs> hated it. I just thought I'd let you run with that. I hated it. I hated the setting. I hated what it was trying to be. I hated the fact that it had such great actors in it and I didn't think they, deliv they delivered based on the script being so sort of the narrative not really working for me. I found it such a snooze fest. Basically, I think I described it to you as like a Harry Potter setting, Sin City based, Oh God, I can't even remember what the third thing that I put in there was. I just, I almost went on a little a text rant to you because it just felt really disjointed for me. It felt like they were trying to be Kill Bill in ways. There were certain moments which were always emulated in Kill Bill, like, you know, Karen Gillan zipping up her bomber jacket, walking out. Like it was all, it, There's things that I think they just nicked from loads of other great films, tried to mash it together. And for me, it just didn't work. And I thought the setting was the thing that annoyed me the most. It looked like a really budget library backdrop. Like you could tell it was shot in a studios type film. And I really hated that. Sorry, I was in a bad mood when I watched it. <laughs> I can tell. It's fun. I, I tell you, I, do you know what? The good news is that most people are going to get to watch it for nothing because it's on Sky Cinema. Good. Today. Don't so spend money on it's, it. It's, it's, in, it's in cinemas and it's on Sky Cinema. It's yeah. one of those. Or if you're a now subscriber, you can stream it as well. Um, and I, you know, do you think it's got? Do you think it's got cult? Do you think it's got cult potential? No, because we make too many of these now for for you know enough of them to have cult potential. I, I don't think okay. this is this is the problem, and we'll get to this in the next the next film we're going to talk about as well. I I think to be honest, 
this market, even though you know the bar is still set quite low because we've yet to have the genuine you know crossover one of these. I mean, it's worth noting that even Marvel couldn't make that formula work recently. You know, the Black yeah. Widow movie could could easily have been the gold standard benchmark, and even they fumbled the ball on this one. There just does not seem to be that crossover mainstream all over triple a rated here's the r rate here's the you know r rated 18 action movie that's got the comedy got the wit got the charm got the action just doesn't seem to want to happen but cult status do you yeah i mean do you think in your mind that because the bar is set so low that you're actually giving it props where maybe it doesn't deserve it necessarily. <laughs> I, no, like, I just don't get how you liked it so much. <laughs> there is enough in the way of Quirker. I think it has it has enough of a reverent love and an understanding of the 70s drive-in action cinema that it's so clearly emulating. Uh, I think some of its ideas are a little muddled. Um, and I, I will argue that it does it does that thing again where they're so clearly setting this up for a sequel. I really liked uh, the young girl as well. I forget her name, by the way, from uh, Chloe Chloe Coleman from My Spy, as the what the young Karen Gillan. Yeah, the 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 younger yeah. like the, the protege who she has to protect. I, I think she's yeah, quite cool. yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. Anyway, beside the point, let me talk about another film that really wants to be a cult classic, but probably isn't going to be. Let me talk about uh, Prisoners of Ghostland, which is the latest movie to star Sir Nicholas of Cage. Remember how I said all those really nice things about him like two weeks ago? Yeah, and I also remember you texting me the other day going, how did I miss that there was a Nick Cage one in, in the section? We're swapping exactly. things in and we're going to watch a Nick Cage movie. <laughs> yeah, well, after saying all those really, really nice things about him for Pig, I'm now going to say really, really terrible things about him for Prisoners of Ghostland, in which, yet again, he's another nearly mute guy. But anyway, this is one of those concepts that you sit there and think, Nicholas Cage plus this concept equals has to be gold, right? No, somehow they get it wrong. Yeah. This is not Willy's. This oh, is no. not Willy's Wonderland. This is Nicholas Cage is the bank robber in some sort of medieval, uh, sorry, samurai medieval era kind of parallel world that seems to exist in the present <laughs> as well. He's been incarcerated because people died during the robbery, and he's let loose by the town sheriff, played by Bill Mosley from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, weirdly, um, who wants to send him into the netherworld to rescue his granddaughter, played by Sophia Batella, who's being kept there by the evil spirits. And in order to ensure that the bank robber, Sir Nicholas of Cage, will do this, they put a suit on him, like a leather suit, that have explosives fitted to certain parts of his anatomy. So I think it's like his hands, his neck, and his genitals. <laughs> and okay. every time he steps out of line, one of these explosives will go off. And yeah, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna save you some suspense. Yes, some of them do. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. <laughs> Really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. Is Nicolas Cage the hardest working man in showbiz at the moment? All I ever hear is that week on week he's turned around another movie. It's incredible. <laughs> That's the thing, though. You do feel like 
you know, I, I personally err on the side of believing that Nicolas Cage just wants to experience films rather than kind of delve too deeply into them because he does take on a lot. But this one is, he's teamed yeah. up with... He's got two westerns Sion, coming up. <clears throat> exactly. Is it Sion Sono, I think, is the, the director on this, who's another one of these emerging Japanese filmmakers who comes out with a degree of notoriety for doing extremity. You know, we get one every few years, like we get a Takeshi Miike, except in the case of Takeshi Miike, there actually yeah. was yeah, 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 a yeah. sort and there was something slightly more accessible there. This is a lot more abstract, and gonzo is the word they love to use for these things when really what they mean is nonsensical, but but neon-coloured. It just doesn't work. It's one for the completists only. Nicolas Cage found the sweet spot for this sort of thing with Mandy, and the problem is this is way, way too far off the reservation from that was. You can, you can push the boat out as far as Mandy, and even then... That's take that. That's asking a lot. This is, I think, too far. But uh, yeah, you know what? If you've ever wanted to see the uh, explosive strapped to genitals concept, though, uh, Nikki Cage has uh, got you covered. Thanks for joining us here on Off Screen. We've taken you from the big screen to the small screen now, uh, where we're looking at all our movies on TV. We've got a John Boyega drama to kick off your Saturday night with on BBC Two at 11.15. This is Detroit Van. Mm. I, I'm, I, I, you said you didn't know if you'd seen it, and I'm convinced you can't have, because you'd, you'd know if you saw it. This is a really powerful movie. Yeah. So this is uh, Catherine Bigelow. I think there was this... What was the, I can't remember the last Catherine Bigelow movie before this. It wasn't Zero Dark. might have been Zero Dark Thirty, I think. She goes from Zero Dark Thirty to this, from The Hurt okay. Locker to Zero Dark Thirty, to then this. And this is her story of the uh, the Detroit riots, the night of the hostage situation, <gasps> which police officers were taken. Yeah, and stars John Boyega and Aldis Hodge, Anthony Mackie's in there. Um, really incredible drama. I have seen this. It says right there, paratrooper eight years, two deployments, honorable discharge. This is a fake. No, sir. It's your girl? I just met her. What's his name? I don't know. His name is Carl Green. Wasn't asking you, I was asking her. You what's just his name? Said, what's his name? You're lucky I haven't broken your neck yet. <laughs> All right, man, I see what you're trying to do. I'm not gonna cause any trouble, okay? But I'm not gonna lie down for you either. What are you doing in Detroit, huh? Like everybody else, I'm looking for work. Left one war zone to join another. Yeah. You know what, interestingly enough, because we've just mentioned it, uh, Everybody uh, Hates Chris, the lead from Everybody Love, uh, Everybody Hates Chris, Tyler James Williams, is it in this movie? I just know it's on the IMDb listing. Uh, Will Poulter is the, one of the reasons to remember this film as well, I think. Yeah, and I've just had a quick scooch at the, at the um, trailer whilst, uh, mm. uh, you know, in silence, and I just <laughs> saw Will Poulter and I was like, I have seen this film. Yeah, I yeah, you remember him, don't you, in the uniform? Despicable. <laughs> Yeah, he was yeah. despicable in this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen this film. Actually, listening. now I remember it. It's a great film, but a very, mm, yeah. I'd say a great film in the sense it's a very important film to watch, to know about that moment in history. And I apologise that I didn't recognise that in the first instance because it is amazing. Um, it's let's okay, you're not, you're, to, not the, um, you're not the Academy night. overlooking Selma. It's fine, you know. <laughs> 
felt like it in that moment. <laughs> um, let's move on to Sunday night. Moneyball is on great movies at 2.50 p.m. I thought it was going to say 2.50 a.m. just for a second there, and I was like, wow, they're really pushing this out into the early hours. But Moneyball's such seems, a great movie, isn't it? Yeah, it seems weird, though, doesn't it, that like, Moneyball is a movie that has such a young rating. Like, huh, because it's got Jonah Hill in it, so I just assume that every second word is yeah. the F-bomb. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's so, it's Brad Pitt as well. You know, anyone that loves sports, this is kind of, this is more of a, rather than it being like a any given Sunday type movie, this is more of an analytical sports film, like understanding the kind of, you know, the, the methodolo- uh, methodology behind kind of how everything comes together. And I think it's a really interesting take. Obviously, it was a really great book, which loads of people loved, moved into the movie and very successfully transgressed over to there. Exactly. And feel bad for Kevin Costner because this movie came out around about the same time as Draft Day, and uh, which is like yeah. the, old school meth- the old school method of picking players. And uh, his, his movie didn't even get a look. Anyway, on to Monday. I'm intrigued to see. It. We, haven't got, we haven't got long to talk about this, but I, I, I don't like this movie. And I wanted, and you picked it, and I wanted, I, I left it in because I, I, I want to like hear you talk about it. I'm, I'm interested to know why you picked it. So Mary Antoinette is on great movies at uh, 4.45 p.m on Monday. Um, just, I was curious it's why Sof- you chose it. It's a Sofia Coppola film, isn't it? It's it a is, a, with, with Kirsten Dunst, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, uh, do you know what? It's the visuals for me. I really hmm. enjoyed that. Like, you know, if you're going to talk about Marie Antoinette and let her eat cake, the way they portray this is like, there's a hell of a lot of cake that anyone watching that movie is going to want to eat. It's um, it's pretty good. I get it. I, this isn't for everyone. It's a bit art house. It's a bit different, but I just quite enjoyed it. And I think if you haven't seen this in a few years, it's worth taking another look at just to appreciate this type of storytelling that's going that that Sophia Coppola does in this, and also I thought it was a good performance from Kirsten Dunst, and I think visually it's just the costumes, everything like that is enough to kind of carry this movie through. So for me, that was kind of the pull for this, just some, something that I think is an easy Monday film. I mean, when's it on? It's on great movies at 4:45 p.m. on Monday. It's more of a lesson. If you were to think about a lesson in sort of, you know, costume and state and film production and things like that, I think that's where this film sort of sits rather than anything else. I will go with you on that one. Absolutely. So, uh, Tuesday then on Five Star, Five Past Eleven. Uh, one of my very favourite films of the early 90s. It's the breakout role for Drew Barrymore. It's 1992's Poison Ivy. You look confused. Have you never had the pleasure of Poison Ivy? But not, not all. I've never only. had the pleasure of this. Was it 1990? No, it might be 91, Poison Ivy. Uh, right. Not, not only did this give us the sort of breakout sex part role for a sort of, for the then rebellious teen Drew Barrymore, it also led to one of the great underrated smut sequels of the mid 90s Poison Ivy 2 Lily, starring Alyssa Milano and Xander Berkeley which is neither here nor there I will write a book about Poison Ivy 2 Lily at some point in my life but for now this is Drew Barrymore as the teenage girl who befriends the sort of outcast Sarah Gilbert at school worms her way into her family seduces the dad and leaves nothing but chaos and decay in her wake here's a snippet Hi. Mm. It's nice and cool in here. Um, I missed my ride. Think you could take me to Olympic in Fairfax? No. Just a sec. Dad, she's my best friend. Why didn't you think of that before? 
Oh, come on, just this once, please, and then I'll be grounded forever. What's your name? Ivy. Good Lord. Get in. Now, there's a really, really good episode of uh, Matthew Turner's uh, Fatal Attractions podcast about this movie. Uh, he's he's yeah. one of the team of four that uh, that talk about uh, erotic thrillers on that show every fortnight. Uh, great episode on this. Can't recommend it highly enough. But this movie, oh, it's a banger. Oh, so they don't make them like this anymore. I wish they did. You would never see I that. I was going to say, you've never I seen, like, Selena Gomez and nobody doing this it. kind of movie now. No, no, no. There was such grit in the 90s. There's mm. such grit that, that basically, you know, th these sort of teens playing, like, trying to be older than they are, it somehow works in the 90s, but it would seem really disingenuous to watch that kind of thing now. Oh, totally does. Put it this way, if it, if it happened 15 years earlier, Emma Watson would have had to follow up the Harry Potter franchise with a role like this before she was allowed to do the rom-com. That's exactly what would have happened in, in the early 90s. But, uh, yes, yeah. guess sure we have made some progress then, doesn't it? But uh, this is, again, sleazy <laughs> fun, though, in, in its own way. And it's worth noting, yeah. the Poison Ivy franchise did loop back around sort of progressively on itself so like nowadays the poison ivy character is depicted in sort of trash sequels really as a sort of more psycho type more outward psycho venomous type figure rather than the kind of the slightly more insidious one she is here she's played as more of a force of nature now more of an empowerment figure but uh, anyway not played for quite the same dramatic chops though it's worth saying uh, wednesday on the horror channel 11 p.m it is probably my favourite Elijah Wood movie. It's the 2012 remake of Maniac, in which Elijah Wood is the serial killer through whose eyes we see the life of a serial killer. It's exactly as fun as it sounds. It's very, very cool, and there's a great sequence to the song Goodbye Horses from Silence of the Lambs. Um, Thursday, 4-7, 10pm, one of our favourites, Bex. Deadpool. How much do you love Deadpool? Yes. Oh, I love Deadpool. It was such a welcome, like introduction into like the comic book kind of world we needed something that was dirty and foul-mouthed and just not as shiny and who else would bring that other than ryan reynolds and you know what he's built an iconic character the set the sequel to this yeah it's okay but this one wham bam you know absolutely made the uh made the impact that it needed to and created you know this character that people quote people love and i i think it's it's a really great Great movie. Absolutely. And, uh, well, I think we've, apparently we're starting to see movement on a third one of that for the MCU. But on Friday, to close out the week, let's go with something with some low-key, you know, artistic credibility to it. This is uh, some prestige, some festival buzz. It is Jonah Hill's directorial debut. It is mid-'90s. This is from 2018, I think. 2018, 2019. Mm. Um, un yeah. Largely unknown cast. And he's sort of loosely semi-autobiographical based on the experience of growing up in California in skate culture in the early 90s you got a relative unknown playing a sort of young proxy for uh, Jonah Hill uh, this is on 10 to 11 so 10.50 Friday night on film 4 here's Catherine Waterson arguably the only real name of the movie ooh handing these rebellious teens their asses. listen to me you do not give my son alcohol ma'am ma'am 
Ma'am, ma'am. You do not give my son drugs. Do you understand me? Cool, cool. cool. It better be cool or whatever the <laughs> your name is. Stay away from my son. He's not like you. Is she mad about the What <laughs> Say goodbye, Stevie. This oh is the last time you're coming here. Oh. Hey, but baby, what's your number, though? Stevie Mom. You're not taking that down. You're not taking that down. I thought this was a blast. I thought this was great. I remember watching this with, uh, I think I was with Chris Honeysett and Jamie East, and we were in Soho screening rooms, and we just yeah. had a blast. We were just sat all, all spread across the back row just enjoying this, and we had a blast. We were just giggling and whooping and shit. We, we just had a great time with this. It's not like a, a, a comedy or nothing, but it is sort of feel-good coming-of-age drama, I think. Yeah, and I struggle to watch movies like this that depict the 90s so well because I just miss it. <laughs> and I find it really like, and I kind of go, I just, you know, that was such a simpler time, a time that I really enjoyed. And yeah, if they're having such a blast with it, I mean, I'll, I'll check it out out of like curiosity, but it will make mm. me upset <laughs> that we're not in the 90s anymore. <laughs> and well, you know what? I, if, 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 you, if you can live without the tears, I think it's a perfectly good way to round out your week. Next up, streaming and DVDs. Welcome back to Off Screen for one last ride off screen. Yes, we've got you with some DVD and Blu-ray and also streaming. Um, this week, we've got a toe-tapping Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, movie, which was a huge success on Broadway. Not such a huge success in the cinemas um, on both sides of the pond, I think. This is in the heights. Yeah, this, and maybe uh, it'll have more success on Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah, it didn't quite become... I think, obviously, we can blame the pandemic, but it didn't quite bring the uh, the crowns in that you were, we were hoping, which is a shame, because it was, it was a good time in the heights, I thought. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's very long, I think, this movie. That's one thing I remember about it. It's, quite a, it's a long movie. But I think the problem is, and, it, like, you know, again, I don't know if people will feel this about everybody's talking about Jamie is... I think knowing the music or, you know, having that kind of first step into it and also knowing the culture and the background, I think for for us as Brits, this might have been quite a difficult one for a lot of people to kind of initially go, oh yeah, I definitely want to go and see this because it represents something that we're very familiar with. Uh, you know I'm what, sorry, though? I like West... for a second, I thought for a second you were about to bring my most hated of all musical arguments that, oh, well, you'd, you'd get it if you'd seen the stage play, like, not the point shouldn't be a requirement that's not how films work which no, is always no, no, a thing you only ever hear around music oh no it was when you said if you know the songs i thought is she gonna do the thing don't do the thing <laughs> i wasn't doing the thing i wouldn't dare do the thing um but yeah I'm i do think that there that is knife bag. <laughs> i could see i could see the eyes of daggers that were looking at me through the screen just then and i was like what am i saying that's wrong i'm just gonna go with this and see where it leads but it's okay we're still friends right <laughs> we're good we're good we're good <laughs> we're good but you get my point you get my point around that though is that i think you know, for, for such a big movie like that. And I think Hamilton is slightly different because we all got bought up on the hype over this side of the pond. But there is something to do with nobody really knows what In the Heights was uh, from a UK mm. perspective. I think it's not, it, you know, there's other musicals that I think if, if Jersey Boys came back onto the big screen again, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know what that is. Right. And I, I'm totally up mm. for watching that on the big screen and see how they, they do they that. Didn't, In the Heights they didn't, didn't in quite... 2014. Worth yeah, okay. Audiences did not know <laughs> what, what I was in 2014, evidently. <laughs> Fair enough. But so, the, it is a good musical. 
<laughs> we, it is, that is a good musical. It is worth a watch if you can do that. But next, uh, this week as well, we've got my mate's film, uh, my mate Harry McQueen's movie, Supernova, which um, a lovely, gentle movie starring Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth about um, a gay couple, one of which is suffering from early signs of dementia and they're taking a big road trip around I think it's the Lake District or somewhere around that area, just seeing friends and family before things get a little bit too late. Can I ask you, did you want one? An autograph from him? Because I saw you looking at it, I wasn't sure if you wanted one. Tuscan? No, it's all right. He's very shy. You normally, do you have a pen on you? All right. But if you want one, he'll sign one for you. He's shy, but he will. On either on a napkin or if you have one of his piano albums, he'll... Thanks. Okay. All right. Thank you. It's very nice of you. Thank you. How did you come to be this person? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know why I do it, because it really isn't even satisfying anymore half the time, anyway. Uh, so why do you do it? Because of the other half. This is one of those charming ones that only Stanley Tucci and, and Colin Firth can inject this much kind of life and love into. It's a very charming, very mm. lovely film, isn't it? Yeah. The do you think this has got any? Yeah. Do you think this has got any weight come awards season? Oh God, no! It's too far out. No, it was released too early. No, Mem memory doesn't last that long. Not in the yeah. eyes of a come on. Now, people who vote well, for these, I... you know, nominate these awards are always too old to remember more than three weeks behind. That's why movies have awards season. That's why awards season oh. is specifically in like the few weeks beforehand. So that the guys and you know the guys can send their grandkids home and then start voting. You know, that's how it works. It's a post-Christmas thing. Anyway, so on to streaming. Let's talk about uh, Monday on Netflix. We've got the farewell, which speaking of awards season, case in point, this one. Golden Globes love nothing at the Oscars. Would have been a shoe in for Best International Film, one feels. But uh, The Farewell by Lulu, La uh, Lulu, Lulu Lang, Lulu Wang, um, <laughs> star, of many a, star of many a white impact fonted T-shirt, evidently now. Um, and this, I think this got the Golden Globe for Best Actress for Awkwafina as well. There's drama in which she um, visits, it takes Karen, it's about uh, her relationship with her Chinese grandmother, um, which is, I thought was quite a moving drama at the time. I've not revisited it since. But I'd be, I'd be quite it, interested to again. Isn't it her Chinese grandmother is is dying, and they yes. are preparing for her death, although she doesn't acknowledge it, or they're trying to kind of fuss around her, even though they know she's dying, but they don't want to say it or something like that. And it's quite a I think that's essentially the, the, the sort of crux of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you know what? It's really yeah. it's really interesting that you say like so. Golden Globe winner Okafina. Did she get an Oscar nod? Yeah. I don't even think she did. Nope. No, no, That's no, it was crazy. ignored. I think as far as I know, it was ignored entirely at the Oscars, oh, which then goes to show you. Um, Broken Arrow, then. A very old favourite of mine. I love Broken Christian Arrow. Christian Slater. This is being added. Yeah. yeah. Christian Slater, John Travolta, John Travolta. Samantha Mavis. I mean, <gasps> and Bob Gunson. Come on, action fan. It's Shawshank fans. Bob Gunson is in this. Wait, Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater. I have not seen them in a movie together since Pump Up the Volume. I mean, that is 
that is amazing to see them both e- in this e- Exactly. Remember when they were just the two sexiest actors like on the scene, which is Samantha Mayerson and Christian Slater. And here, this is their, their final time together in 1996. This is John Woo's second English language film after Hard Target three years earlier in 1993. Um, this is also, I think, this is the first one that Travolta pumps out after Pulp Fiction. I think. Wow. Offhand. Okay. It doesn't feel I like it would be, be that. Is it, it's either this or Get Shorty that's the first big one. I can't remember. I feel which like comes it would have been. I feel like it would have been Get Shorty because I think he just went on a totally mm. different trajectory, and I feel like this would be pre yeah. Pulp Fiction. Um, it just a, has that feel to of, it. A lot of uh, a lot of ground gets laid here in Broken Arrow that winds up getting picked up in Face Off. There's a lot of stylistic inspiration mm. like that. And his relationship with Travolta, the way he learns to frame Travolta, and this John Woo carries over to the next film. Broken Arrow is a movie in which two airline, two uh, you know. It's ace pilots are doing a, 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 a what do you call it, like a practice run of a live nuclear warhead. Only for one of them, three guesses which out of John Travolta and Christian Slater might be the evil one, turns and steals the nuke. The surviving other pilot now has to trek his way across, I think it's the New Mexico desert, with a with like a, a a sheriff ranger type played by Samantha Mathis in tow, I think at one point Hank literally handcuffed to him to stop John Travolta from stealing this nuke to terrorists because and I I swear this is true he wants to buy shares in Volvo. Here is John <laughs> Travolta being just amazingly psychotic. Hey, get rid of your weapon. Get rid of your weapon. Come on. That a boy. Now you can shut it down. You just have to come and get it. And $20 that I took from you last night says that you won't. You're out of your mind. Ain't it cool? Genuinely, genuine true story. That is where the website Ain't It Cool News got its name from. That exact moment of that movie. So, um, yeah, Broken Arrow, worth a, worth a punt, I think, on Friday on Disney+. Plus. You're holding your phone at me. What have you got? Well, I just, I had to look up Samantha Mavis because, or Mathis, as I called yeah. her, because I was like, what has she been doing since 1996? She, I because I haven't seen anything she's with her. She's done quite billions, a lot of stuff. isn't she? Yeah, so she's in Billions. I had no idea. I'm, I'm going to go and uh, rewatch Billions. The Guillermo, the really good Guillermo del Toro vampire series that I think is now all on Disney Plus, uh, called The Strain, that stars Corey Stoll. Uh, yeah. She's in that as well. Samantha May, this is always good value for money. I love me some Samantha May. This give me Jack and yeah. Sarah any old day <gasps> of the week. She's she's my oh. princess toadstool. She's my princess Daisy every time. But. Yeah. One that we've got to look forward to next week. One we, we've not really got a clip for because we'll just cover it next week anyway as a new release. Uh, next Friday on Netflix is new a new movie starring Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, and Kevin Klein. It is called The Starling. And it stars uh, McCarthy and Dowd as a couple expecting their first child um, due to tragic circumstances. He then, you know, obviously the child does not uh, come into their lives 
He then finds himself in a mental health facility. She finds herself spiraling and seeks solace in the counseling of a former grief counselor turned veterinarian played by Kevin Klein. And he schools her through this antagonistic relationship she develops with, and I kid you not, an actual starling bird that keeps attacking her outside her house. It sounds like a movie that Melissa McCarthy could make work, but I guess we'll see for sure next week. I mean, the trailer looks yeah. quite twee and nice, you know? It, it, looks, know. it looks like I one think... of those where they, yeah, they really want to be able to say, you know, nominated for three Golden Globes, you know, that kind of a, a trailer, I think, you know? I think you've just ruined it for me by saying that she's got this obsession with some starling that hangs out the front of her window. You had me before then, and then jo now John Travolta me. steals a nuke to buy Volvo. I mean, come on. That's we the 90s, dude. <laughs> you could steal nukes to buy Volvo in the 90s. <laughs> that would have been a good stock investment. Like, you know, <laughs> I can see his game plan. That's literally why he does it. That's <laughs> yeah. literally why Travolta does it. So that he can, he wants to buy 40% of Volvo or something, I think he says. <laughs> so I can sit back and make 20% off luxury uh, uh, safe luxury motors I think he says at one point you're like what is going on in the world that John Woo is doing this to me anyway <laughs> I think that's about as insane a note as you can end this week on because once 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 Nicholas Cage is having his genitals blown off uh, in the un in the Samurai underworld for art house directors and Travolta stealing Volvo stock, I think you've really got nowhere to go but down, have you? That is true. That is true. But we'll be back bringing you back up again um, next week <laughs> with more brilliant movies here at Offscreen. So for now, we'll leave you with that wonderful thought of John Travolta buying some stock options for Volvo. <laughs> and for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and unfortunately for you we shall return <laughs> <laughs>